0: Um, it will be available on our website uh, within a couple of days. So uh, please make sure they're aware of that. Uh, We will send an email out to that effect. Also you've got a question box on your screen. Um, If you have questions during the webinar please feel free to uh, add them to the question box. Uh, We will answer them at the end of the event, Um, not before the end. uh, seminar will, will run long and, and hopefully will answer many of the questions you might have uh, before um, the end of the webinar. In that case we'll just ignore those questions if we've already covered it uh, or briefly mention them. So my name is Ian Greenway I'm uh, President of LIG Marine Managers uh, I think many of you looking at the attendee list uh, have been to one or more of our live seminars um, this is the second in our series of 2015 webinars. Uh, there are 10 of them and all we'll go through those uh, at the end of this event and just before question time. Um, but this one's talking about maritime employers liability and how it works in the market. And, and I have to say, I think of all the lines of marine insurance there are, uh, maritime employers liability is the most misunderstood. Um, even people that have been in marine business for a long time, uh, seem to misunderstand what it does and what it doesn't do. Um, but I think probably most important is how it fits into uh, the whole picture of covering your employees. How does this build together? Um, some of you may have seen this before but for those of you who haven't I just want to uh, show you this this wall. Building a wall to cover your employees is critical uh, particularly in the marine environment. The foundation of this wall is state act workers compensation um, everybody needs it in the marine environment uh, sorry our friends in Texas even you do for most of the time because without it it, it loses some of the longshore exemptions and exclusions if you don't have it so every marine business needs state workers comp to at least start the, start the process rolling the left-hand tower building now is the federal and international coverages Out-of-continental Shelf Lands Act, which we'll deal with in a later webinar. Federal Coal Mine Health and Safety Act, Fela, Federal Employers Liability Act, uh, Defense Base Act, Uh, they're really outside of uh, uh, the realm of these webinars, although there is some discussion about putting a DBA webinar on. Um, Defense Base Act, of course, for US workers on foreign um, defense bases, and mostly the rebuilding in the Middle East. Non-appropriated Funds Instrumentalities Act, uh, that's for defense bases in the US and it's for people who work in self-generating jobs. Uh, people like the um, people who run the golf courses down here at McDill Air Force Base or uh, maybe a movie theater, um, they'll fall under NAFIA. And then of course the international coverages that are out there. Our Admiralty coverage is the protection indemnity and our subject for today is the maritime employers liability. And obviously we're going to spend a lot of time talking about MEL here. P and I will be a, a subject for a future webinar. And then our good old friend the Longshore and Harbor Workers Compensation Act. And again, we'll be covering those uh, in different in a different seminar. Now I'm not suggesting that every client will have every one of these coverages, but what you're going to do is say which clients have these exposures and then build the wall around that client this is the only way we really have a solid defense when an attorney comes in and fires a claim at us that quite often they're going to try and find the gap to get through to corporate assets or, or even personal assets in some cases so the more we can do to build this wall and protect it the better for everybody One to me of the biggest problems about maritime employers liability is that it's written in two markets. It's written both in the ocean marine market on an online basis and in the workers compensation longshore markets by adding it to the workers comp policy. And I think that the ocean marine people really feel that MEL should be somewhat a workers comp coverage and yet the workers comp people really feel like maybe it should be a little bit more of an ocean coverage. As it is, it sort of straddles between the two marketplaces, and we'll talk a lot about how the two different marketplaces react in different circumstances, but it is definitely one of the most mysterious coverages that exists in the marine market today. So let's start with what MEL is not. It's not a compensation policy. It's not a a, a policy like a workers' comp or a longshore policy, where there is some set of fixed benefits traded for liability it is a pure liability policy that's why it's called maritime employers liability it requires tort liability on behalf of the employer to really have a claim come through there are a few exceptions to that but it's a liability not a compensation policy and it's not a PNI replacement. It doesn't replace the crew coverage under a PNI in its normal format. Now you can mess around with some exclusions and allow that to change. But the straightforward MEL policy is designed not to replace crew coverage. and unless you amend certain exclusions in there, you're not going to get any coverage for any crew on your vessels. Workers' Comp, we'll add Longshore and then we'll add MEL to that. But the MEL only covers employees. When we get to the P&I, we're not only getting coverage for our employees on board our vessels, we also get coverage for bodily injury to third parties. We get physical damage, we get wreck removal. We get a lot more in P&I if we own and operate the vessels. So again, it's this gap coverage sometimes perhaps only a few thousand a premium in a big account but a very important gap nevertheless typically the work of comp markets will ride a M.E.L. endorsement with a twenty five thousand dollar sublimit sometimes they'll increase it monoline there is no uh, there is no sublimit as such it's usually a million dollar limit sometimes higher but you'll often find this blended version where the workers' comp carrier gives you just $25,000 worth of coverage. And then you go excess into the monoline markets, most commonly Lloyd's, but many domestic markets as well. So there you have a hybrid where you've got the first $25,000 attached to the work comp policy. And again, 975 over twenty-five in a monoline market. You see this a lot in Texas, some of the Texas-based carriers. Uh, will only give you $25,000 worth of M.E.L. Um, So you have to go out and buy that excess. You also find it a lot where there's state funds or J.U.A.s that will only give you $25,000 of M.E.L. policy. Causes some problems which we'll deal with a little bit later. But what's the difference between MEL and PNI? We've already talked about how PNI is for third parties and PNI uh, covers wreck removal and physical damage. But this is a little picture I like in my mind. The MEL goes with the person. It takes your employees really anywhere they go on any vessel, subject to the uh, limits of the trading limits of the policy and is tagged along with the employee, it always follows the employee. Whereas when we look at a P&I policy, it's to do with vessels, and we have to schedule and own or operate those vessels to have them listed on the P&I policy. P&I is tied to the vessel, follows the vessel, and if they go to work on a non-owned vessel or a vessel that's not scheduled on the policy, then there is no coverage. M.E.L. follows the person, P. And I follows the vessel. So who does M.E.L. cover? It's really in designed originally and has always been intended to cover your employees on somebody else's vessel. What could this be? It could be simply a gentleman driving a, a boat around to test drive it. They've um, repaired it, let's say, and they're taking it out on the water to test drive it somebody else's boat that they've repaired it could be something like dancers or spa people on a cruise ship it could be workers on an oil rig it could be somebody else's workers on your ship it really doesn't matter where or what type of vessel it is It, it only matters that they're not the employees of the owner or operator of the vessel Let me go back a little bit just for a second on this comment about oil rigs. Is an oil rig a vessel? Well it's a rather complicated question but let's do something really simplistic here and say an oil rig is a vessel if it's a floating or a semi-submersible rig. The closer to shore platforms that are driven into the ground fixed leg type platforms or rigs are not considered vessels unless they're being towed to a site. So that makes it just a little bit more complicated. But you can mess around with the policy and endorse it so you can cover your employees temporarily on board one of your vessels. So let's say for example, we have a company that does the inspection of bridges. They may use their own vessels to do this, they may use third party vessels to do this, but they take their employees temporarily onto those vessels inspect the base of the bridge, and get back off again. That can be easily covered under MEL regardless of whose vessel they're on, with just a little tweak to the policy. The other time you'll see this used a lot is for marine contractors. You might have the captain and crew of the tug and the barge, insured under the P&I, but then you might have some construction workers who are going on and off the vessel. They're perfect to be put under an MEL policy. It's really designed for this on and off temporary exposure, uh, particularly on your own vessels. MEL doesn't replace longshore. There was one rather famous wholesaler uh, not too long ago who was selling MEL and saying, oh, you've got MEL, you don't need longshore. And when the agents or clients would come back and and question that, they'd say, look, there's even a rate on the longshore payroll. How can it exclude longshore? Well, the reason some MEL policies charge a rate on longshore payroll is that there is a contingent MEL exposure for certain longshore employees. And those are the ones that work on board vessels most of the time. This comes out of a case called Southwest Marine, versus Ghisoni. Gazzoni was a painter. He worked from a paint barge, moving around in the shipyard, painting sides of ships. Because he was working from a barge, although he was a classic longshoreman, a, a ship repairer, he was also given maritime status and the MEL policy paid for him. There are a number of other examples of stevedores working from barges and other types of traditional longshore employees getting maritime status. But don't confuse this longshore charge to give longshore coverage. You still need all the longshore coverage you have before. This is a contingent. Generally, you'll find the rate on longshore payroll, if it's there, is a lot, lot lower than the rate on the fully exposed payroll, the Jones Act type of payroll and that's because it is contingent in these cases. Longshore usually comes first. You've got to have that longshore coverage in force. A lot of the time you hear people talking about soft or hard MEL. And this isn't how far hard or soft the uh, Employees exercise, this is a terminology considering how much time the person spends on board the vessel. If that person spends less than 25% of their time under the on the board a vessel, they're considered hard. I'm sorry, they're considered soft. If it's over 25%, it's descri- described as hard. Why this line? Well, so it comes out of another court case, and this is called Chandris versus Laztis, which comes out of Chandris Cruise Lines. And the court said that to get Jones Act or Admiralty status, you typically have to spend more than 30% of your time in service of a vessel. Well, if you listen carefully, I just said 30%, whereas the slide says 25%. And this is mostly underwriters saying, we want a little bit of flexibility. This is not a hard number. So instead of the 30% that the courts say, we're going to use a 25% number. The biggest problem with this is the courts never said over what period of time should this be measured. So you've got a number of other court cases that flow off this, and none of them really address this period of time. There's been somebody who who was considered a hard MEL employee because he spent one day in service of a vessel, but his job was a traditional captain at that moment of time. Whereas others have spent lots of time over a longer period of time and never really triggered that 25% number. It's a rule of thumb, it's a guideline, it's not hard and fast. But it is one that will change the rating on the account fairly drastically, and it's a question in just about every MEL application out there. So if you've completed the application, make sure you've asked the client very clearly. Under 25%, over 25%. I'm not going to spend a long time on forms, but I do want you to be aware that there are four forms, different forms out of London. Um, the 607 and 676 have pretty much disappeared. I'm sorry, 607 and 609 are pretty much disappeared today. Uh, the 675 and the 676 are the two in use today, uh, most currently. You'll still find a few older policies out there with the 607 or 609. Uh, The 675 is the primary form and the 676 is the US form. When we move to the US, um, just about every carrier that writes this uh, has their own form. Uh, one carrier recently asked me to review their form Uh, it was their own proprietary form and and when I uh, looked at it I found uh, interesting it was almost a direct copy of the 675 including a couple of typos that are actually in the 675 form Um, so sometimes they're very much based off the London form sometimes they're completely recreated Uh, there are some issues with the US forms uh, some of the US forms, some are very good um, but they're very different and different ways of constructing. Where the real difference is when we get to the NCCI MEL endorsement, that has a completely different structure and has some real issues with it in certain circumstances. One of the biggest differences between the NCCI and the standalone forms is geographic limits geographic limits in the NCCI form is the territorial limits the United States America and, or, and Canada or over their counter outer continental shelves. That's not a lot different to the basic MEL form on a monoline basis but then just about every carrier I know that writes monoline MEL will change that when necessary. Whereas if you go and add go to a workers' comp longshore carrier and say, oh, I need to change my territorial limits uh, because I'm going out and doing some work in the Bahamas. I have never found an NCCI-based workers' comp carrier that will do that. Interestingly, we had a submission on one of the cruise ship concessionaires a little while ago one of the entertaining groups on the cruise ships. And they had a standard NCCI workers' comp longshore policy with this NCCI endorsement for a million dollars of MEL. The territorial limits of the United States of America and Canada are over their outer continental shelves. They did a fair bit of work sailing from Miami, clearly covered by that territorial limits but only for the first 12 nautical miles, and then you're outside of those definitions. The worst part about it is the entertainment itself didn't start until they'd already passed that 12 nautical miles. So this company was paying a six-figure premium for a policy that basically covered them for loading and unloading the vessel only. Had a little bit of clerical inland. MEL limits are often different to the employer's liability limits. I cannot tell you how many policies we've had come into this office saying, oh look, I've got a million dollars of MEL and they give us the deck page showing the EL limit. There are a few carriers that may make sure that your EL and your MEL limits are the same, but many don't. The only time you have, the only time you can find the MEL limits is on the MEL endorsement. And often that's just $25,000. That's just not enough. You can't really say hello in federal court for $25,000. The marine market has the ability not only to write excess coverage as we talked about before, but also to write million dollar limits. Um, Occasionally you'll see a half million but they're very few and far between today. Uh, Many carriers won't even give you anything less than a million. Um, There are a few that will give you up to five million dollars in the primary. But most importantly you've got to layer this out so your excess can pick it up. If your excess carrier is happy with an MEL of a million go ahead buy your 25 primary if you need to buy the 975 over 25 or buy a million dollars straight up and then let the excess carrier go in and write the rest. We've got to just for a second talk about actions over in the MEL endorsement. There's been a lot of times where people are looking for other ways of covering actions over than in the GL policy because the GL carrier is unwilling or or wants too much money to provide it. So there has been certain people who've tried to add the actions over to the MEL. Let's just talk a little bit about actions over first and then we'll come back to how it works within the MEL. An employer signs a contract with a principal, maybe a big oil company, big shipping company, um, a big shipyard, something in that that range. They bring an employee one of the employer's employees on board or onto the premises of that principal, and they get injured. Well, they collect their normal type of benefits, whether they be MEL or Longshore or even workers' comp, from their employer. But the injured worker, or probably more likely their attorney, comes along and says, I'm not getting enough money, so they sue the principal and says, you gave me an unsafe place to work. And because the employer and the principal are different people, different organizations, they can do that. Workers' or Longshore is sole remedy only towards your employer. It allows you to still sue third parties. But because you've signed a contract between the employer and the principal, the principal simply turns around with that suit and says, you've agreed to indemnify me, assuming that contract has that indemnification clause in it, and most do, any suit that way comes back, and that's a pretty standard MEL, oh, sorry, actions over principle. Here's the problem with action, adding actions over to the MEL policy. It only covers MEL losses. So if that injured worker made a worker's comp or longshore type of claim and and was that type of employee, the actions over in the MEL simply would not cover you for anything. Just pause before we go on a little further. I just want to remind you if you've got questions, please do go ahead, type them into your questions box and I will answer them at the end. So let's have a quick look between the NCCI version and the MonoLine policy version. Our NCCI, our workers' comp endorsement, has a limit of $25,000 as a basic limit. Um, You can increase it with some carriers, some carriers will not. Again, biggest problem is with the assigned risk or state uh, specific carriers. Often they can only do a $25,000 limit can buy excess coverage on a monoline policy we're going to look at a million dollar limit most commonly a territory on our workers comp US territorial and Canada Um, on the monoline again it starts being the same but we can endorse it to pretty well worldwide uh, without too much trouble in most cases well comp endorsement also has a program too that just pays state benefits and requires a release we don't have that in the model line policy I think that set of benefits is is very dangerous because you're only paying a small fraction of the liability that you should have let's say the state act claim might be ten thousand dollars that same MEL claim might be forty thousand dollars and accordingly you're missing three-quarters of the claim. We can put excess coverage over the top of a $25,000 basic but remember the excess follows the underlying so that if you're outside US territorial like a cruise ship or somebody working in the Bahamas or in Mexico, it's going to give you no coverage whatsoever. Actions over are not covered under the workers' comp. It is a possibility under the monoline policy. So here's some web resources Um, there's a lot of information on here not only about MEL but a lot of other other things here. Longshore toolbox um, in the library section there's a whole article about maritime employers liability there. Um, Blog, a lot of items coming through the blog on MEL Uh, Jones Act obviously there as well as Longshore uh, the wiki, uh, the wiki has a lot of terminology, I think some 250 or so, uh, marine terms, marine insurance terms, both from a placing point of view and a claims point of view. Uh, so if you're don't, if you not familiar with the term, obviously ask your underwriter or ask your agent, but um, if neither of you can find out easily, uh, the wiki may give you some answers there. Um, also, just to mention, uh, again, all these... Uh, webinars are being archived under ligmarine.com video Uh, there will be a a tab on the bottom left hand corner of our website Uh, it has the first webinar and uh, we'll have future webinars on there Uh, again if you've got questions I've just got one question so far which I will answer in a second Uh, do pop up some other ones Um, The uh, Certified Marine Insurance Professional uh, program, the next one's coming up in uh, April 20th and 21st in Fort Lauderdale. Um, I see many of the people on the uh, webinar today uh, are already registered. If you haven't, please go ahead and register soon. Uh, April 20th is coming up very quickly. Uh, We also have a simultaneous. Uh, graduate webinar going on that uh, that same time uh, April 20th and 21st for those people who have already got their uh, CMIP uh, designation. Uh, again go to www.iimis.com to register. Um, future webinars uh, we'll set for 1.30 Eastern time Longshore status April 7th, uh, Collision and Towers liability May 12th. Longshore Citus June 2nd, P&I June, L- July 11th, uh, Longshore Insurance Coverage, Payroll Modern Rules August August 11th, Understanding Mutuality in, on September 1st, and the new one just added uh, is Stock Throughput, a uh, type of cargo coverage, um, quite an interesting one we're putting on on October 13th. Uh, so approximately one a month uh, for the rest of the year. and again. Um, we can uh, uh, these will all be recorded so if you or one of your colleagues cannot make a particular webinar you're going to be um, you're going to be able to watch these in re- record so questions uh, first question from Dave does the P&I policy have any employers liability coverage um, not as such the P&I policy does cover your liability to your crew so if you have your employees on your vessels uh, the liability to them could be covered by an M.E.L. if you endorse it or a P&I and they give you the same types of benefits Uh, what's the highest limit for M.E.L. uh, seen on a work work comp policy you can do anything from 25,000 up to a million Uh, a lot of it will depend on the reinsurance of the carrier Um, a lot of it will depend on the filing for the carrier most of the traditional carriers that write longshore insurance will give you a million dollars of MEL might be pretty restrictive on what they'll do but the limits not a problem there where you really see the 25,000 as a problem is for somebody who either doesn't write MEL at all just doesn't want to write it but is forced to write it because of some filing or for the state fund type carriers they typically only give you twenty five thousand again make sure you look at the NEL endorsement page for the limit it's not on the deck page it's only on that endorsement it's usually buried uh, somewhere to the close to the back of the um, policy can I explain actions over again Um, yeah I think I can let's see if we can get back to the slide because I think this is the best way uh, to look at it again this is a general description of actions over it is not specific to um, to MEL Uh, the issue at the end is that if you add this to an MEL policy then you only have coverage for MEL type of losses here we have an employer let's say they're a welding contractor They go to work for a big shipyard or a uh, big oil company. They're going to sign a contract which is going to require them to indemnify the principal for any losses that might occur to their employees. One of their employees gets injured. Let's say he's a longshoreman. He collects his normal longshore benefits but then goes over the top. This is the over part. The action's over and sues the oil company or the shipyard. He says, you didn't give me a safe place to work, pay me more money than I got under Longshore. That principal comes back to the employer under an indemnity agreement and says, hey, that contract said you're going to indemnify me for anything I have to pay, Mr. Injured Worker. Pay up. That's the coverage issue, generally in a GL policy, but many GL policies today are trying to exclude it. Oh dear. let's see if I have a traditional longshore stevedore exposures individuals do not as a practice board vessels do you need an M.E.L. just in case do under artist trust premium to reflect what, what may be no exposure to M.E.L. Um, yeah it, it's a, certainly a good idea even if you don't think you're ever gonna have an M.E.L. claim uh, or a successful M.E.L. claim uh, you can buy an if any type of M.E.L. policy probably down as low as about thirty five hundred dollars four thousand dollars today for a million dollar limit and with that you have a million dollar defense cost policy as well Um, so a lot of the time you might be buying this as a defense cost policy only Um, in addition you get a lot of occasions where uh, let's say you've got a longshoreman that's going to go work in for an oil company they'll require them to have MEL even if there's no exposure um, to satisfy the contract. So quite often you'll find that it's a contractual requirement. Um, contractual requirement for them. Last question I've got, if anybody's got oh no one more pop uh, um, one more just popped up, sorry. Under a workers got maritime endorsements, if program two only pays the maximum state workers' comp benefit does that mean Program 1 only pays maximum federal workers' comp benefits? No. Unfortunately, there's two versions of Program 2, one that pays state benefits and one that pays longshore benefits. Program 2 basically substitutes a artificial compensation program in instead of liability. Program 1, if you're going to use the... Um, NCCI endorsement at all, Program 1 is the better version because it is a liability policy. It does pay whatever you're legally liable to do. Um, last question. Uh, if employees are traveling from California to Guam aboard a non-owned vessel, will MEL cover the trip since both are US ports or US territories? Um, In the NCCI endorsement, I don't believe, and I I probably need to go back and check this, Warren. um, I don't believe there's an extension for territories. Um, So the simple answer is no. Um, Again, going to Guam, you could easily deviate into another uh, water of a foreign country. So I would look to write that monoline rather than try and put it on the back of of the, sorry, on the back of the workers' comp anyway. Um, but I will um, double check that again my memory is I don't think it's US territories I just think it's the United States and Canada um, in the uh, wording of the NCCI endorsement Uh, that is a very specific one and and I have to apologize I don't remember the wording of the endorsement too much. Bear in mind that you're not here talking about longshore rules. They don't apply in this case. This is Admiralty rules so it's a very very different uh, set of go go from there. Um, That's all our questions for today. That's all our time for today. I did just get one more pop up and I'll uh, address that one offline. Um, So I want to thank everybody for taking the time uh, to attend this webinar. I hope to see many of you uh, down in Fort Lauderdale at our CMIP event and uh, for those who don't um, look for the next uh, longshore status webinar on April 2nd. Oh, sorry, April 7th, only big pardon. Thank you very much and have a good Monday.